Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. The number of brewers who went into it making beers that they want to drink who are now making hazies, but they themselves don't <laughs> drink hazies. Yeah. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 21st July 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by industry consultant Sabrina Kunz and former managing director of Feral Brewing Company, Brennan Varis. Welcome to you both. Hey, Brendan. Hi, Matt. Hi, Sabrina. <laughs> Mate, welcome. Uh, it, it, it's great to uh, – it's been far too long since we've had uh, your dulcet tones on the on, on, on the podcast. Your dulcet tones. Um, <laughs> I don't know that they're regularly called that, Matt. Uh, <laughs> but that, there, there was a lot that we want to do to sort of catch up on uh, what you've been up to. Um, but we might get in and do the headlines first and uh, then – get you in to talk about the news, but talk about a little bit about you before we do. Anyway, so this is the news of the week as of uh, 21st of July. Lion has released its 2021 sustainability report, demonstrating its progress against a series of ambitious targets for the year 2030 and reshaped sustainability strategy guided by an environmental social governance framework. Key sustainability achievements outlined in the 2021 report include a 28% reduction in scope one and two carbon emissions from a 2019 baseline. And if you'd like to find out a little bit more about what scope one and scope two carbon emissions are, there's a great article that uh, Claire Burnett has done looking at that. So you'll find out a little bit more about what they are. Uh, Also, Lions packaging now includes over 52% recycled content, beating the APCO set target of 50% by 2025 by four years. The company also said that due to global supply chain disruptions, it has shifted its target date for phasing out plastic shrink wrap from the end of 2023. Uh, to the end of 2025. In other news, the 2022 Royal Adelaide Beer and Cider Awards results were announced uh, at a gala ceremony over the weekend, uh, and the 2022 Royal Adelaide Beer and Cider Awards took place last Friday night with a Left Barrel Brewing taking home the most outstanding beer in show trophy, as well as Champion Lager with Bob's Yadunkel. Other notable wins, Nowhere Man Brewing Company won the Champion Small Brewery Trophy, as well as the Champion Porter or Stout Trophy with their Alpha Ron Stout, and Vale Brewing won Champion Large Brewery, as well as the Champion Ale title. In other news for the week, in our Brewery Pro section, uh, navigating grants for breweries. Breweries received millions of dollars of funding last year, but tapping into the available government grants can be challenging. And so Brews News spoke to Grant Thornton, experts, to find out a little bit more. So if you're a brewery that would like to find out uh, how maybe without the need to equity crowdfund, you want to get some support and financial input into your brewery for a specific uh, result, that's a really, really uh, valuable article for you to read. Uh, There was also a sponsored post, The Fascination with Fresh Hop Beers. Uh, It's a Brewery Pro episode, and HPA outlined the process for picking green hops for immediate addition to fresh hop beers and breweries' increasing focus on the provenance of their raw ingredients. So if you're thinking of getting involved in the 2023 hop harvest and maybe brewing a fresh hop beer, that's a great one. We've got other content uh, along that lines as well. 
In other news that we haven't covered, uh, Three Ravens, Future Magic and Daintum have announced new equity crowdfunding campaigns, bringing the total number of equity crowdfunding of breweries in the past year since July 2021 to 12. Now, we haven't done articles on that. We have a policy at Brews News of not covering equity crowdfunding until after the financials are released uh, because I don't believe that you can fully cover the stories while they're doing the expressions of interest phase. But uh, if you are interested in equity crowdfunding or you want to look into those, you can go Google those, I'm sure. Now, that is the news for the week. We're about to jump below the fold. And Brendan Varis, welcome. Hello, Matt. Mate, tell us what you've been up to. So I'm trying to think it's, what, five years since uh, Feral sold? Coming up to five years, yeah, October five years. And, uh, of course, when when you sold, you didn't do uh, with CCA what some breweries did where you've got the one, three, and five-year earnout. You uh, stayed on for as long as you wanted to, um, basically, and could and, and could leave. So you're fully out of the business now? Yeah, I am fully out of the business. I, it was near enough to two years that I, that I um, continued on. And look, that that period was, was certainly a different period for me in terms of um, how I had to operate. And I look, I guess in summary, without going through all the detail of two years worth of <laughs> time time under a different manager, I look, there, there was some change of management at CCA. Um, and I guess when the people that I'd come, become and established a relation with working with at CCA almost as a group uh, moved along, it, I probably felt it was rather than dig back in and um, get a whole other set of working relationships within that business was probably my time to let it go as well. Um, and I guess I was comfortable enough that the people there were within the feral business were um, going along nicely and look, the path is what it's going to be. Yeah, it would have been a huge change between being sort of um – and I don't mean this in it, but like king of the castle, right? You're running your own show. You've built this business to all of a sudden have, um, you know, not over. I keep I'm using the worst terms, um, overlords. But to have, you know, like now you report into a major machine. That would have been quite a difference in just your day to day activities. It, it was, and I guess I, look, I was we, we were somewhat intuitive in in the way that things were run when whilst it was under my stewardship. So that intuitive way it wasn't easy to translate across to getting approvals from people over yeah. on the other side of the country um we managed and but yeah it was certainly yeah we know i just just do it what i have to ask for just do it <laughs> <laughs> it's obvious it's obvious <laughs> yeah well that, that's what i was thinking because there's somebody who was very early um to to the craft beer movement and you know was was very immersed in the growing craft beer industry and had a very good feel for what was current and, you know, what the market was saying. Um, I, I would imagine that you ran Feral with a fair bit of instinct as much as, you know, financial data or anything like that. Yeah, highly instinctive and, and intuitive. Um, and it was, it was kind of mine and, and then like the closer part of the team's um, instincts and intuition that we ran by. Whereas in bigger companies, it's consumer consumer groups and consumer testing and panels and stuff like that. So totally opposite way of making decisions. One um, is probably more suited to when it's when capturing the ninety nine percent is important. But when you only want to catch the you know the the five percent, 
um, you don't necessarily need all the consumers and the consumer panels and consumer testing to tell you. So, um, so I just thought it's more an a- the, the application for the part of the, the size of the market that we needed to to get on board with what we wanted um, didn't necessarily need broad acceptance or broad or as broad yep. a consumer appeal as you would. It's almost, you know, when you started Feral, um, actually today to get that 5% for a brewery now is actually, you know, it's a much more competitive market, particularly amongst small breweries with so many even driving their hyper-local. So, um, you know, what what might have been sort of able to be done intuitively in the past because there was still market share to be had sort of more easily, um, we're sort of seeing new small breweries come in, uh, raise capital and essentially, you know, cannibalise. I think we talked about it with Jimmy Gold last week that even uh, felons starting, you know, they took – taps and kegs from bars that were going around um they took over that space and so you know it's just a such a different marketplace now that probably all of that business um stuff all of the the non-brewing stuff has to occur to be a successful business today because it's so competitive yeah it does um and and it is a totally different uh space now and i you know i'm often asked about this opening now versus when so we opened back, it was 2002. Yeah. Um, and now, um, and, which, and which one would you prefer? And that's, look, there's, there's, there's positives and negatives in both. We're, you know, back, back when we opened in 2002, we'd walk into a bar and try and sell them a keg and they'd look at it, a keg of craft beer, boutique beer, microbrewed beer. There wasn't even a name for it back then. Um, and they look at us like we had two heads. What's this stuff? Um, and so, you know, we were like having to, more like Burke and Wills cutting a path. So that was that's a hard way to get anywhere. And then whereas now, look, the, the path's well trodden and it's about competing people to get, you know, get through the um, log jam of people that are on the path. Yeah. So very, very, very different. Um, I, I guess just in terms of the feral, we were we were conscious of um, of the movement and, and that's why I guess we, we you know, we, we, we were very clear of all those things that it was different and, and what have you. We kind of knew our brand and we knew our world. We knew our place in the world. We knew where it had been, where it was coming from and, and what I had to respect and what I had to do going forward. Um, but I guess it was a, it might have, it was probably a trust thing as well. Like, who's this guy? What does he know? He makes a bit of beer. He doesn't know much <laughs> about brand and marketing and, and, and all that. So it's probably a bit of trust with management and things. So, But, look, we negotiated that. We got through it. I did a couple of years and, um, and happily um, said goodbye at that stage. And you know, haven't done a lot of beer since. Mate, just looking at the, the at the news that you know we're, we're we're covering, and I guess we'll come back um, and and discuss it a little bit. But you know, you look at the stories that make the news that Bruce News covers these days. It's things like sustainability reports. You know, if you go back ten or twelve years, um, the news that we were covering, the things that breweries were focusing on, were, were very very different. You know. Mm. Would you know if Feral launched today? Would you be an eco-friendly green brewery, or would you? You know, <laughs> how how would it look? We would. It would certainly. My awareness of those issues is much more than it was when we launched. Um, so it'd play a much bigger part in the thoughts. Would be eco-friendly, green, zero emissions. We're <laughs> starting now. I, I feel like you'd almost have to, given that. Um, if you've got a long-term view, the expectation is the world 
goes to zero emissions almost. Or um, so so to start irresponsibly would would almost you know be fatal. I think so. It it it'd certainly be a big consideration. It's interesting. So Justin um, Fox did a, a talk um, at the West Australian Brewers Conference, and he, um, you know, obviously, you know, consults with a lot of breweries. And he, his talk was about a modern brew house, and he was basically making that precise point, Brendan, which is that um, if you are conceiving of a brew house today, you actually need to be building in even the smallest breweries, all of those sustainability measures right from the beginning. Um, otherwise, you're just not going to survive as an entity going on, including because of the cost savings um, associated with doing things well. But he was actually making that exact point. You you, you sort of yeah. have to. Yeah, and, and even broaden it out further. So the sustainability reports really, it's ESG, so environmental um, sustainability and governance. All of those things are now um, more front of mind for for society and for business um, as well. So all of those things would be considered, not just plant and equipment and how much energy and how much water. It would be about equality and um, yep. and mental health and um, all, all those types of things would be far more front of mind than um, perhaps they were at the turn of the century. <laughs> which is now 22 years ago so it's uh yeah actually and that's a good point you know the diversity in the industry which is you know excellent it's it's such a focus these days when it wasn't you know when when feral launched oh, it wasn't at all um, and that wasn't that there was a bias one way or the other we just didn't think about it the people that yeah. presented themselves presented themselves um and you yeah, took the best person and if turned up that it was all guys or all girls or what whatever that's what it was or if there was a mix there was a mix she didn't think of needing a, a blend so broader views and broader broader thoughts on and broader i mean, um i guess experiences to throw into your mix of and team these days it is a thing and it's understood that um you get better results from having that because that's one of the things I, I don't I, I certainly know that you know 15 years ago when I was looking at the issues facing the industry that wasn't one of them because it was a significant blind spot but then you see the value that a greater focus on diversity has brought to the industry in terms of being aware of you know making it more inclusive and reaching a broader audience um, rather than you know the the, the, the reach that one of the old Forex commercials might have had where it was four blokes building a boat um, and there wasn't <laughs> anyone other than four scruffy blokes to, to, to be seen, to have a, uh, a, you know, an industry that not only you know, that, that is comfortable but also um, has the ideas being brought to it from a much wider range of people than you know, may once have been the case. Yeah, and I also think, it's, I mean, hindsight's also a wonderful thing, but then you think back, to then when firstly you're, you're bootstrapping a business and and most most craft breweries started very very small back then and they, they were bootstrapped up and they were doing it in an industry that no one knew you weren't necessarily attracting a great number of candidates to anything that you asked for so the ability to choose for diversity was potentially not there either mm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting now, um, you know, we've come full cycle where you couldn't attract people to roles because people didn't know about the industry and now we're at a stage where um, we, you know, people can't fill roles because there's not enough skilled talent. Mm. Um, you know, mm. that's one of the key issues. So it's, it, 
it's not that people don't want to work in the industry. Certainly there are ongoing challenges with um, pay scales for roles and so on and so forth because of the slim margins in the industry. So we definitely still mine passion probably more than um, as an industry as a whole than we should. But um, now actually it's it's the opposite. We can't attract talent, which is one of the big reasons to we need to be inclusive as an industry is because we need to make it as attractive as possible to work there so we can find people. Totally. So uh, now just to segue a little bit, if we were going to look at, you know, if if you had a job, you know, and you couldn't get it filled, you know, of course there's the Bruce News job ads, which are the most successful job ads in, in, in the industry. But, you know, just if you wanted to second, you know, I was actually thinking that you could advertise the place that people are drinking and, you know, maybe put a tap deckle. Oh, um, that's says, interesting. <laughs> so not, you're gonna you're gonna, gonna milk carton milk, wa- um, help wanted help on the wanted side of a side. beer can. And if you're gonna do that, <laughs> if you're gonna do that, I would call Rallings label stickers and packaging with hundreds of beers on offer these days. It is branding and product recognition that is now putting pressure on the marketing. How do you promote your award-winning beers in an easy to recognise manner at the bar at the eye line of your patrons? Colourful decals highlighting your brand and your product. Rattlings does a weekly decal order run of the standard decal shapes in 3mm white PVC foam board. Get your order and artwork in by midday on a Tuesday and you'll get your decals back in time for Thursday, the happy hour. Not that you're allowed to have happy hours anymore. In Brisbane or Friday if you're in regional or interstate areas. They do a variety of decal shapes in ACM and resin. However, custom orders usually take longer to produce. Remember, they also specialise in can and carton labels, shrink sleeves applied to cans and ready to fill along with a variety of other applications. Call the team on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au and of course, you'll find them if you didn't catch that in the show notes or on the brewery directory. Probably not the best segue we've done, but you know, we've got a, <laughs> we, 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 we've got a lot to, lot to cover. Uh, <laughs> So, BV, what have you been up to since uh, you know, since since you did move on? What what's been keeping you interested? Are you involved in any breweries? Not in beer, no. Not in beer, not not in any booze stuff actually. So, for the first year, I just went off to Thailand, um, and that was the first first of the COVID years. Um, went there more by chance, just as COVID was hitting, and decided to stay. Um, came back the end of twenty twenty. Re engage in society and friends back here, I guess. <laughs> We've got look, I've done some angel investing into some small startups. Um, one of those is you know very much in that environmental space, um, which is a it'll be a provider of carbon credits and a supplier of protein for stock feed and um, uh, in, yeah, insect protein for stock feed and aquaculture. Cool. Um, some money into a fun little movie that hopefully gets about to get picked up by Netflix. Um, uh, yeah. You've dabbled in You've things that are interesting dabbled. to you. Have, have you put any money into equity crowdfunding, Matt. Brendan? I've not found that the, the something that's caught my attention that often, no. <laughs> but surely that's a great way to, to engage, uh, you know, someone who's interested in the beer industry, and it, it, it's it's certainly a great investment. I don't know that it's a great investment. It's, it's potentially a, it's a good way for breweries to raise capital, and it's a reasonable... And it's not a bad way for people to support a business that they might already be engaged with and have some closer association. Okay, but you, uh, you wouldn't yes. be putting it in. If you wanted to get your money back, you might put it into a bank, for example. 
Uh, yeah, bank. No, probably not a bank either. No. Um, if you want to get it back. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that, that's my starting point. Not even making money yeah. on it, just getting it back. <laughs> right. I put, put, put it into, into whiskey in barrels. Okay. Yeah, that's not. Um, speaking of whiskey in barrels. Yes. To celebrate the launch of Wolf Release 5 and 5th of a share. Nicely done. Well, I just... <laughs> This is what happens when you've um, pre-read our show notes. To celebrate the launch of Wolf Release 5 and the fifth year of the shared vision between the House of Lark and Victoria's Wolf of the Willows Brewery, for the next eight weeks, the mailbag letter of the week will receive a Wolf versus Boilermaker pack, including Wolf V Single Malt Whiskey, Wolf V Johnny Smoke Porter Beer, Lark Beer Glass and Lark Glen Can Whiskey Glass. The Wolf Release 5 will launch on 8th of August. Make sure you join the waitlist to avoid missing out on this special release. There is a link in the show notes. And if you listen to Beer as a Conversation, let us know what you thought of the chat last week. Um, and we, we're going to roll out a few chats. Um, you know, and it's we, we, we do need to take advertising, but we want to make sure our advertising is good in the feedback that we get. But certainly the the, the chat we did with Lark last week and uh, we're having with um, Wolf of the Willows this week about the beer and the, way that it, and the whiskey and the way that it's made is fascinating. So... Uh, if you get your letter of the week uh, read out, you will pick up that Lark whiskey pack and we thank our good friends at Lark. And uh, yeah, have a listen to the Beer as a Conversation to find out a little bit more about the terrific uh, whiskey and beer that you know, is being made in partnership. And that wasn't a plant either. That was, that was um, Yeah, thank you for that, PV. <laughs> that, that was just a... Beautifully done. That, that, that came, I was with, um, I was having dinner with the guys, the half-owner of Cadrona Distillery, and, and I nice. literally asked, and we were talking about that at dinner the other night, so... Um, yep. No, it wasn't a plant. <laughs> that wasn't a plant. It was just a. Um, that was just a nice segue. We like those. So, mate, what are you saying? Because there, there wasn't a lot of news that for us to cover or for us to go back on. But what did you still keep an eye on? What's going on in the brewing industry? A little, and look, I do still talk to the people at Feral a bit. So probably it's a little bit too insular um, now, just in terms of their struggles. I'm probably talking to them a little bit about. What am I seeing? I am really seeing it must be hard as a startup to cut through now. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked into a specialist beer store, which I don't do very often now, because my you know, little store around the corner has got a nice enough range, something of every style and something decent, without being specialist, um, to not have to go into one of the, you know, those those stores, the specialist stores. Walked in recently and I was shocked. I used to be able to walk into those stores and know most labels and most brands <laughs> if i saw something I'd, I'd be attracted to the one that i the one in the corner that i didn't know um i walked in there and i i was just didn't know what i was looking at i battled to find a beer that i knew um yeah so that must be really really difficult to try and get a toehold amongst all of that but also um, for consumers because that's a really interesting point you know when when i started blogging about beer before even brews news that was the dream that you could walk into a bottle shop and have this really big range of beers. But now that we've got that, I'll walk into it and I look for the thing that I know because yeah. it's exhausting. And you, you try enough beers that you're disappointed by that you start becoming a little bit at risk averse to, you know. And it's also just even how to organize. So I find it, um, you know, with wine, they organise it by style. Mm. A lot of fridges still organise by brand. Mm. And so you – because beer wants to – you know, we've kind of come full circle in terms of everybody shifted to cans. Cans has got more artwork. Let's make lots of beautiful artwork. But now you can't see past the artwork to tell what the 
beer is yep. drives oh, that, me yes. insane. And yes, so that, that was going to be my comment on that when she started speaking, um, Sabrina, that they really need to just get some advice on their their branding in terms of yes, they're nice little bits of art and all. You know, they're not going to hang on a museum, but they're nice. But I don't know what be, what yep. breweries made it. I don't know what type of beer oh, it is. It drives me nuts. And so, I mean, I know a few years ago everybody was complaining that everybody had gone down the Bolter route, you know, like really clear mm. with the – but actually I can tell what those beers are and yep. I can tell who mm-hmm. made them. And so when I'm standing in front of the fridge, I'm overwhelmed. They've got them by brand. I can't even figure out what the thing is. I go – Oh, well, that's sitting there. I can read it. I can tell what it is. Yep. I know the price point and I'm going to leave. And I realise that, you know, that's not how everybody shops. People shop differently, um, you know, and if you have a brand that you love, more people are buying direct to consumer. But when we're fighting um, this podcast, me in particular, have raised the, um, re- the lack of retail space available at the big box stores for broad ranging that's getting more competitive and if people can't tell what your offer is and you get consumed less you're going to be deranged so the beautiful artwork that mixes your brand and all of that but I think we've lost sort of I've made a red IPA and I'm brewery Y. it just yeah I definitely think that just basic old old school branding um (laughs) it is uh, and and that can that then that goes out more broadly about are you clear about who you are and and why you why you're doing what you're doing because um, I often think about why people would start a brewery today <laughs> because the reasons that I started it would no longer be valid mm. um, so our primary one was we wanted to brew beers that we like to drink because back the the landscape back when we opened was yellow fizzy lager yeah. Um, and so we couldn't, we didn't have access to all of these beers. So that was a valid reason to open. Um, and so we wanted to brew beers that we like to drink and brew beers that we had personal respect for. Now today, there's that's covered by everyone else already. So what are, what are people's motivation for opening? It's really fascinating you say that. We received an email in from a listener a couple, maybe it's about a month old now. It had come into our journalist and it basically said, I you know, listen to Bruce News, I'm going in my with my eyes wide open, I know it's super challenging, I know it's competitive, I know the margins are slim, basically listing out all of the challenges and then said, but I'm going to do it anyway. And mm. so what it seems to be for sure is that if you want to buy yourself a job, so if you want mm. to own a small rural um, brew pub that supports you and one other or you and, you know, two couples financially and you want to work in the business and you essentially want to do a job that you love, that seems to be a valid reason, right? But to go in with concepts of making beer and and I just spoke to somebody the other day who um, was in South Australia for the beer awards and, you know, we started worry to make beers that we like to drink with no sort of cohesive plan other than that. I'm just going to jump because the number of brewers who went into it making beers that they want to drink who are now making hazies, but they themselves don't drink hazies. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you sort of go, I think that's you know that, that's the first thing I thought of when you said a valid reason, uh, Brendan. Would would you open a brewery now to make juicy beers? No, but look, I wouldn't open a brewery to get beers I want to drink. That it is so covered. I can yep. get a really good 
well-made example of any type of beer that I'd ever dreamt of and ones that I hadn't dreamt of. Yeah. Um, so that's covered. Um, yeah. So the, 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 I, I, the hyper-local thing or the local thing is – I think that's it. Yes, I enjoy making beer. I, I enjoy being hospitable with people. I can buy myself a job, small business, and if th- that, that's, I think that's legitimately there, and and yeah. and that's a really important thing that um, craft beer can do for communities is have that local point, um, little local business. Pe- people, they're they're an excitement and 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 something exciting about about a small brewery in your area. It kind of galvanises people around it. The people who go in doing that, you know, that's what they enunciate. But at the same time, there is always that element that you pick up that they think that they're going to grow um, from that. Whereas mm. if, if you are a small local brewery, you're essentially a news agent. You might buy yourself a job. You're going to yeah. work <laughs> hard. You have to pay somebody else if you're not there yourself. Yep. which at some point you're going to want to not be there yourself. Um, and so the business needs to be sustainable enough that you can pay other people to run it when you're not there. And that's often where, where, where the trap is. Is that a reasonable observation? I think it's okay to have an ambition to grow, but you should be sustainable if you only if you only remain basically hyper-local or very local. Mm. Yeah. Um, it, to say that you shouldn't have ambition, you know, I, th- I think everybody needs to do that. And, mm. If you're really good and if you find something that resonates and you get your branding right and, and all the other little um, bits of the magic pudding start falling into place, you can get traction and you can grow. But if you, you have that there as a big P&L line early in your forecast that we're going to do this, this, this and this on year two, three, four and five away from, from our local region, that's um, probably difficult to execute. Yeah. Yeah. And and. So, you know, sort of aside from hyper-local, the only sort of real difference entrant to market that we've seen over the last few years is Brick Lane, who came in with a completely different model. So their model was, um, you know, essentially we're going to go large um, and we're going to produce a lot of beer, not necessarily for ourselves, and we're going to leverage that um, and distribution and relationships. Um, And so that was a completely different model, right? But they had to have significant capital investment to start at that scale. But you compare that with Tribe, for example, which was a contract brewer in Sydney that was struggling and then they got equity investment. So a very, very similar model on one hand, both have their own brands, both do contract brewing, and yet I get the feeling that Tribe is trying to sell. Well, it, it, that's in, well, according in, in, to the Australian, in, financial, the Australian review. financial Review, and can't sell. So you know, it's kind of ideas are one thing, execution is a whole other. Absolutely, but there is sort of no space in the middle. Like we, I was talking to someone the other day who said they know of three or four brands in the country who are consulting right now to get equipment in, who think that they're going to launch at two million liters mm. and be able to um, have enough financial backing, have the sales staff to actually sell two million liters of beer, have the equipment, and they're going to launch at that level and be successful. And you look at the landscape, and it just doesn't feel like that is a, to your point, Brendan, a reasonable space or that there's a good enough reason to do that given how many other breweries are out there. Yeah, depending who you are and how you're going to launch at 2 million litres. If you're really, really well capitalised, you could buy 2 million litres. Yeah. I mean really well. You could buy 2 million litres, but it won't have any meaningful um, sustainability in terms of it's basically like 
when breweries buy taps or even you say big big breweries launch launch a new brand and they'll throw it on a whole heap of taps around the country they'll put a thousand taps around the country because they're going to put a big summer marketing campaign onto it and it's gone by next summer yep so, so effectively those breweries have paid to launch that brand through their taps um the big the big brewers and there was no attachment there was nothing no reason for consumers to buy other than it was put in front of them so how do you having launched at two million liters burnt all your capital to buy the two million liters then reverse into people actually engaging with what you got but i guess if you're a big brewer that's doing that you already have those taps and you that volume is coming at the cost of one of your other beers because I, i remember when matilda bay had big helga that was gradually building up a bit of momentum and then they brought out the two big brewers bought out mainstream wit beers. Um, there was the Han White and then CUB brought out a pure blonde white. And so they took off Helga to put on pure blonde white that was just, you know, <laughs> dead man walking from, from the, 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 the first day. But then they also killed the growth of big Helga that never recovered when because they had to take one of their existing beers off tap to put the new beer on. If you are one of these breweries that wants to buy two million litres, you need to find the taps in the first place. This is, um, you know, a point I was discussing again with someone in South Australia about um, people often think about the production side of how to get to two million litres. People don't think about the sales side of two million litres, you know, like the, the, the sales force that you have to effectively distribute that amount of, volume either into retail or into um, hospitality and trade. So it's actually a really sizable portion of the business if you're going to do it well. Um, And I know I was talking about it in the context of a number of small breweries were saying they wanted to distribute more regionally but couldn't afford the sales reps. And you're like, well, then, you know, if you're making too much beer and you can't sell it, then, then that's not working either. <laughs> so I think or the you can't sales sell it profitably because you can subsidise it. Sure, but I mean, it really comes down to the sales side is not even um, sort of. People assume if they make the beer, it will sell. If they get to a certain volume, they will have economies of scale, and that will be sufficient to enable them to move the beer. But it's actually, you know, your distribution strategy has got to be right at the forefront of your planning, and most of them, it's a oh, maybe now I'll approach my local distributor or now I'm going to try and get nationally ranged without sort of having built that into the model from the beginning. Oh, it's, yeah, it's very much a multi-factor model across all levels. Even that, oh, if we get to excise, we'll get scale and things will, and, and we'll get natural, natural growth and that type of thing. Yes and no, it depends how you get there. If you get there with just one brand and you, you get there organically, then at, at one point, you will get scale and, and you should, having organically grown, get get some growth to, you know, um, feed itself. But if you got there by making a different beer every week, you're not going to get any scale and you're not um, going to get any organic growth because you've constantly got to present and sell something new and you've got to do new packaging, new design, new distribution um, for a different beer. So the whole there's not a one size fits all for how it, how it happens and and there is space for them all but they you need you need to be clear on what it is you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it 
when you say that you wanted to make the beers that weren't available and that you wanted to drink, um, you yes. know, because it was fizzy yellow lager, which was the you know, again fifteen years ago was the language of the time, and you had guys like Greg Cook decrying, um, yes. you know, fizzy yellow lager, and then ended up making it, and then ended up selling to the companies that he said that he would never sell to. <laughs> but yeah. what what do you think of the growth of the craft adjunct lager these days? Um. Yeah, we, I guess we talked a little bit about this in, in on the Perth uh, forum that we did, mm. didn't we? Um, I can understand it. I can understand for a while why craft breweries didn't go there. Um, and that was it, for a while you needed to differentiate that you weren't just making the same thing as the big commercial brewers. Mm. Um, so to have one of a few products on offer was exactly the same. You just say, oh, yeah, you're really no different. Um, now that craft's grown into its pants a bit more, I guess you could say, and it's known to, you know, we know what it is. It does all these different things. And one of those things, it, it also does pretty good lager, lager, lager made traditionally, whatever whatever the individual craft brewers thing might be be um we're, we're big enough to be able to do that and still have industry understand that that's not craft so i can see why craft brewers are doing it and drinkability look lagers are very drinkable and well-made <laughs> lagers with, with good malt um and given time and time's an important part in good lager no matter what anybody says um are a wonderful beer to drink. So I can understand why craft brewers would want to craft one of those beers. So if you were wanting to make, Matt, a high-quality beer yeah, <laughs> and you understood the importance of beer quality, who do you think you'd call? Look, I would call Dixon Asia Pacific <laughs> because they understand the importance of beer quality and just how important a brewing system is in terms of being efficient and reliable. Brendan, don't laugh at our ads, please. <laughs> do you love how no, I can... Segway. It's not the ad I'm laughing at. It's that wonderful segue. I just... It's, I can hear the change in, in, in tone in my voice when yes. I think I'm being funny because I've found a segue. <laughs> like, I can hear myself do it and I know it's ridiculous, but here we are. But I tell you, the, the, all of the studies show that house ads or ads like this are more memorable. And so... Listeners, remember Dixon Asia Pacific because this is where Dixon comes in. They supply all the technical flow products that you need to brew good beer from hose and hose assemblies to valves, accessories, fittings and more. If you need product advice, technical support or training, you can contact Dixon as they have product specialists that can help you with this and more. There is a link in the show notes or you can find them in the Brews News Business Directory and that's Dixon Asia Pacific. And we thank them for their support of the show. And thank you for another segue, Brendan. Thank you for another, yes. So, <laughs> hey, um, Brendan, I absolutely take your point that there was a long time that brewers needed to distinguish themselves, or you know, small brewers needed to distinguish themselves by making different beers. But there was also this undercurrent that I felt in the industry that there was a belief amongst craft brewers that one day everybody would be drinking craft beer when, you know, craft beer doesn't seem to have gotten you know the 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 pale owls the you know hoppy beers don't seem to have gotten past about the 10 15 percent of the market and the industry the the, the mainstream market seems to like a good lager that seems to be what they want you know is, is it a recognition that maybe the the promise that craft beer was going to change the world um and drinking habits maybe was a little bit over over optimistic 
Um, yes, I guess if, <laughs> if, if it, it, well, if it depends, if anybody's, if, if, if someone's um, idea was that IPA is going to be 50% of beer consumed, yeah, that was optimistic. I, I think it being 15 is amazing. I think that has changed the world. Mm. Um, and, and then on the back of that, there's the stronger, weaker ver- versions. There's all the other beer styles that are now more available. So I do think in many ways it's changed the world. If they thought it was going to be world domination of hoppy beers, then that was probably a fatal thing to think. That's was I don't think that was ever going to happen myself. Is it going to grow? I think so, but not not um, exponentially anymore. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to frame it, which is if the if the goal of early craft was to provide a wide variety of alternatives to fizzy lager, then it is absolutely achieved that. It's just that um, with so many breweries coming on board now, as you say, the range of products is already available. It's just so hyper-competitive now and yet there's still only 15% of the overall beer drinking market and the number of beer drinkers aren't growing. So the, the circle of the market has stayed the same the number of competitors has mm. quadrupled. Well, people are drinking less. People are drinking less beer within the people who are drinking alcohol. Yep. And yet the number of breweries coming on stream continues Keeps to grow. Increase. Exactly. And I can't work those maths out. How yep. about you, Brendan? Again, the, the ones that are coming on stream, most of them are going to have to be those smaller, hyper-local hospitality offering ones. Um, but, but I think back to we're talking 15% and what the US is touching over 20% now. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think last time I I had a read. Um, now when we kicked the doors open, we thought, "Well, what if craft got to five percent?" So, <laughs> so to put mind that you, that was five percent with seventy five breweries, not ten yeah. percent with uh, six hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's not going to be talking to US again. The next year in Nevada, I don't think we're going to get born anytime soon, and, and I guess the closest might have been Stone and Wood here. So. Yeah, yeah. I, there's not going to be too many Sierra Nevada, Sam Adams, those type things start now, and nor will they start in the US, I don't think. No. It's interesting because um, I've had a thesis, which listeners are probably sick of, um, but actually I saw re-emphasised in something yesterday, which is that sort of the lines between categories of drinks are changing as well. So actually precisely who is the competitor for your brewery, it's not just the next brewery, it's sort of – all alcoholic beverage and and increasingly now non-alc and sort of what would be considered adult beverages, um, and so actually the lines of where is our where is the potential market and how do you measure it and who are your actual competitors is also much more complex than it was several years ago. Yeah, and then you can define that in lots of ways too. Like if you're really clear on who you are, um, so say if you're just a sour beer maker. Your competitor is not a lager, lager brewer even. So forget about blurring lines around what's beer and what's not. You don't, even, right. you don't care about the pale ale maker or the lager beer maker or the, the Guinness maker. You only care about the other sour brewer makers because you're just going down a, a one track. Yep. Um, if you're a broad brand that just wants to, you know, scattergun it, then, yeah, you need to think I've got pots and pans and I can make all sorts of things in it. So who's who else can I nibble a bit out of if, if that's how you want to do it? So – I think the individual needs to be clear about what they are and then they can define who their competitive set are and who their customers are. Yep. 
Well, mate, we won't go to the mailbag. I'm glad we've got you on for this because this is it, it's a real like it's quite a complex question, but I'm sure you'll be able to uh, simplify it for us. And this email, I won't I actually I won't say the name because we never know whether they want to be named. But on the rise of excise and the increase in beer wholesale prices. Just looking for our thoughts about overall price increases expected already occurring for beer wholesale prices and the knock-on result of retail and tap prices. How much will excise increase on August first? Um, Matt, I understand how you uh, you understand how the legislation works on this. How will an increase in freight prices, both ingredients in and products out, change the landscape? Energy prices uh, and are also another major issue at the moment. Well, I know every industry will be going through this. I would be curious to hear your thoughts and the Brews News community approach to this latest challenge. But I know that you don't, you're not actively involved in it. But you know, as an observer, you know the the re- every six months excise goes up, and that's coming at a time of inflation and you know massively increasing costs across the board. Yeah. So excise is one part of it. I think the 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 broader thing is going to be overall inflation so all inputs are going to be costing more um and that's where an inequity may be seen in terms of where the ability to hold price versus have to put a price increase onto consumers might come the excise part is fixed and it's it's flat across every producer all right um price rises for other inputs up in those if increases, if they come, may not be equal amongst all producers. Um, so larger ones with more market power, with a bigger account, may be able to negotiate smaller increases as the time comes, whereas smaller smaller producers with less power might cop a bigger one. Um, so proportionally, they may have to pass on more of that cost because they've absorbed, they're getting more passed on to them. So that's that the inequity is more on the I would see on inputs other than excise. I posted an article of a couple of weeks ago that had done this analysis in New Zealand with some of the medium in the New Zealand context, medium sized breweries saying, yeah, they would be passing on the costs. Um, mm. And even in that space, um, some of the largest New Zealand breweries saying they would have to pass on some costs. Mm. Um, and Matt, I think you spoke to a couple of breweries who were. One thought they might have to pass on costs, and one thought that they wouldn't. So most, well, most of them are working out how they do it because craft beer is already an expensive product, and we're having such like a, a perfect storm of excise and costs and transport. So you know, it, it, it's just hard. And the sad thing is that um, what we're not seeing is all of these pressures um, and not to translate into wage growth. And so we've actually got this huge problem where, um, and I think I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, that we're under, we can't find skilled resources because often the the resources we want to hire are competing with industries beyond beer um, that maybe have, particularly on the manufacturing side. Um, And so you know, we're not seeing wage growth in and amongst our own industry. We talk a lot about burnout and mental health and those sorts of things, but we're not actually seeing it translate into wage growth because if it did, the pressures on the cost of a pint would be even greater. But this is the problem. I we know. have record, like 3.5% unemployment, which is record for 50 years. Yep. If you are an employee, you can shop around. Yep. And so there is going – at a time when your spending power is going down because of inflation, you want – and you've never been in a better position to demand higher wages. So I think it's yeah, it's it's really challenging times. How would you be negotiating it if you were still in the game, Brendan? 
beer's a good fun industry. That's one one that we can play. <laughs> you have to play that quite hard, I would assume, right now. Yep. Um, because because reality is it's not as profitable as other industries. No. Um, the margins are less. You don't have as much there to offer when you're employing people. It's just it's just a, a fact of it being a, a small margin industry. So if everyone's got the same same amount of of um, increased inputs and increased costs, then beer is going to go up. It's just going to go up a fact because yep. that has to get passed on, but it goes up the same for all. When some have more increased costs than others, that's that's going to be difficult for those people that have to pass on more. Yeah, and I think that's the sort of um, – we saw a, a small brewery in Brisbane close last week maybe and, and they're – you know, very small brewery, had done it tough through COVID and basically just said, um, you know, we've come through the grind, all of these pressures, you know, we're going to down tools. Um, you've seen a couple of closures uh, in the US um, and, and you know, in this competitive landscape with a market size that appears to be fixed with increasing cost pressures and a lack of skilled resources who can shop around, You'd have to assume that over the next year we are going to see some businesses be unable to continue um, and either fold or, and I don't want to link it into anything else, um, access some free money. Let's not do equity crowdfunding again. Equity, but the 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 point is, this is why that is existing as a an approach that folks are taking because it is such a competitive. It is such a lean space at the moment that to stay ahead, everybody's looking to grow to get that economies of scale. To your point, Brendan, if you're large enough, you can absorb some of those costs. So people are sort of chasing that elusive um, tipping point on where they where their margins increase um, because of these cost pressures. Yeah, and I guess the, uh, there was a lot of support around during the COVID period as well. Um, yep. Mm. So, what did a lot of what did a lot of businesses look like before? Were a few because everyone's been saying there's going to too many openings, very cluttered space. There's got to be a you know somewhat of a, a clean out at some point. Did did COVID delay that? Um, yeah. And is some of that support still sitting in the business? Well, I mean, I've looked at a few non non beer businesses recently, and their their financials are looking better than they did before COVID, given all the support they could access. Um, so I, I just wonder to that to that point about is there going to be some closings? Maybe, and, and we still haven't seen the, the effect of the support that was there being withdrawn um, fully yet. Yeah, and it's also interesting. We haven't seen whether that fundamental change in behaviour to direct to consumer sales, which is obviously better margins, um, whether that sort of hyper-local purchase directly from your brewery is going to continue um, because that actually saved a lot of breweries. So in addition to government support, they had, you know, there was this real wave. But as people go back to busy lives, um, you know, as con- as individuals' patterns change back to pre-COVID, um, are their buying patterns going to change back as well? Yeah, and, and I suspect that's going to come down to the savviness of the individual brewery. Like some will have realised what's resonated about that and find a way to keep it ongoing yep. whereas others will just give, go back to norm and perhaps not 
have seen the ongoing benefit and and continue with with it. Yeah, often we you know people were forced into that. It doesn't mean that they wouldn't continue to do it if you give them a reason to, and it's going to be a different reason. I you're not forced. Yeah. Oh, I think there'll be a mix of both. Jimmy Gold gave an excellent example of that where he said they'd done the, you know, table ordering um, mm. and he sort of said now, like, they can save on staffing but mm. actually their consumers prefer it. If they hadn't been forced into doing it, they wouldn't have done it but now post-COVID they're going to keep it and that was just a sort of a forced shift. Yeah. Yep. So I think good operators will will be able to continue what, what works for them going forward. Others that perhaps don't recognise what was good for them, they, they won't be able to. And that's going to, I guess, differentiate between people that understand the intricacies of their, of a very tight margin business and the importance of doing what works for you and those that don't perhaps do that so well. Hey, BV, we've booked you in for next week. I think well, uh, we, we don't have Claire, so you're happy to come back next week? Love to, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, can we put a call out to maybe any of our listeners that want to ask you a question? You know, and, uh, are you happy to take some questions oh, from sure the thing. listeners next week? Awesome. Yeah, okay, there you go. That'll make it very easy to fill out Lark Mailbag um, for next week. So if you've got a question for Brendan, uh, please send it through to producer at bruisenews.com.au. Brendan, thank you very much. It's been great to uh, it was great to catch up with you in Perth, and it was great to uh, you know to get your thoughts on, on on the industry. I've missed having you around. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. It's stuff that I haven't thought about for a while, but I certainly was always passionate about it, and and still have a have an have an interest in um, in how how the industry plays out. Terrific. Well, that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz and Brendan Varus. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovic and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Yakima Chief Hops, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Dixon Asia Pacific and Lark Whiskey for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you too to you, the listener, for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that, we're out.